Hey there, welcome to episode three of the Draft Champions podcast. I'm here, uh, your host, Zach. I'm, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Zach Rodo, and I'm here with uh, Mike, who's also a host of the, of the show. You can find him at Mike underscore Curlin. And we have uh, Vlad Sedler. You can find him at RotoGut on Twitter. Um, and he, um, he has a website called fantasyguru.com. We want to talk to him about how that uh, how that sort of can be intertwined with uh, the Draft Champions League. So, how you doing, Vlad? I'm great, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, this is uh, early bird gets the worm, they say, and so we're here in December. We're doing Draft Champions Leagues, and uh, uh, you know, it's a fantastic format. I think it's the ultimate format for prep. Um, and uh, you know, just just happy to be on. And, and just as far as um, you know, what you'll see from me, kind of in the preseason, is you know, we at Fantasy Guru, we always do a draft kit. Uh, myself, Ray Flowers, Jay, Jeff Mans, and a bunch of other folks. Um, but I'll definitely be having a couple of draft champions uh, strategy articles uh, because it is the format that I'm really sort of um, you know intertwined with, um, kind of December through February. Like I'm just doing as many of these as I can uh, using it as, as my prep. And so I'll be sharing a lot of my experiences there um, on the site and over the next couple of months. How many um, uh, leagues do you plan on being in this year? So I try to keep it to a minimum, but because it is, uh, you know, because there's no free agent bidding, um, you know, I try not to do more than three or four, but I think I might get into five this year. I mean, obviously <laughs> that's not that much of a difference, but um, you know, it, because I started earlier, usually I'll start in, in January and this year I started at the end of November around Thanksgiving and that draft flew by. I mean, that was uh, like, we got it done in like 12 days. I was like literally amazed. Um, you start getting into drafts sometimes in February and you got people slacking, you're waiting for people that are like running off the clock. And so, um, you know, the faster these get done, the more likely I'll, you know, probably be fiending and want to jump into another. Fiending is, a, is the right word, I think. I'm in my seventh right now. Wow. No, he's Correct. he's not kidding. He's a true degenerate. Like he takes it to the next level. I was thinking cuz this is the first year I've dabbled in NFC. I've always enjoyed these 15 teamers, the um, the the deeper leagues and I might wait a year, but I really want to do the main event this year. I can't get to Vegas, but at least the online. But my understanding is you dabble in even larger buy-ins. So <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, a lot of it, honestly, is just kind of built up from years of playing at NFBC and, yeah. and having some good scores where I was able to kind of reinvest put myself in a position to you know, do better leagues. But I mean, I usually do one uh, main event by myself. I'll always go and draft that in Vegas. And, you know, I mean, there are only five leagues on that Saturday morning and they're loaded. So you're always looking the week before when they fill the league up to be like, all right, which, you know, um, you know, knockouts, you know, powerhouse dudes are in, you know, and gals are in my league and, you know, it's, it's tough, but I always like to do one online or I'll share a team with, uh, you know, with a buddy, you know, someone like Matt Odika, mm -hmm. where you got a couple of different, um, you know, angles on, on and ideas for players. And I like the online leagues because I mean, a little tip, I mean, I like to sort of search and, this may seem like, you know, kind of skirting around things, but I like to search for leagues where I don't recognize a lot of the names, which is a good thing because, you know, to get to the overall championship, uh, you know, to, to win it all, you want to be able to find that league where you might end up having some dead weight. So, you know, if you see a bunch of heavy hitters, you typically want to avoid it because you just want to find the path of least resistance. Although, 
Although, didn't you mention that like one of these guys, like I think it was you that tweeted about him, that like the best unknown player has been the guy who like won it all or something? He well, Casey Cha. So he's going to yeah. be the inductee into the uh, uh, NFBC Hall of Fame this year. Uh, he's a stud, man. He's you know there's obviously a lot of great players in this format. Casey is very under the radar because he does not uh, tweet. He is not on Twitter. Does not have a personality there. And he just comes to these events, usually shows up to the draft, you know, a couple drinks deep and um, is really kind of quiet and assuming. Awesome. And uh, he just crushes. Um, two years ago, Rob Silver and I, we, we shared the platinum, uh, NFBC, NFBC platinum. There's only one of those. It's a 15K entry. So we split that. We ended up coming in second place. Um, but nice. we drafted right next to him. We were out of the 14th spot. He was 15. And so we were sniping each other the whole way through, just kind of having fun. Last year, uh, Rob and I came in eighth, and Casey won that, and then also I think like another thirty leagues. So he had like Jeez. the most insane high Jeez. win win percentage of all time in a single season. So you know it's not going to happen every year, but you know he's obviously somebody I don't like to play against. I find it's uh, it's feast or famine though uh, year after year because typically you're on players one year that are either hit or miss. So for example. Last year, you could have a really good year, and the year before that, you you don't. And the one year, you, you're going to hit big on a lot of leagues, right? Yeah, I mean, last year was a good example. Um, so I play a lot of the 12-team online championships. Um, I, I always do five of those, and, and that's actually the game I'm best at. I'll usually win two to three of those leagues, you know, place in three to four um, per year. And, you know, from it, it's kind of a switch up because I do draft champions, which are 15 teamers. Then I do my 12s and then I have to get back into, you know, the main event mode. I do. I do want to ask how, well, speaking of 12s, I know now that we're on that topic, how do, how does drafting these 15 teamers, these, you know, these deep leagues, the draft champion leagues in particular, do you find yourself overvaluing players that you shouldn't be valuing as much come these shallower leagues? Cause that's what I find myself having a trouble transitioning. Yeah. Well, all right. So, so real quick though, what I just remembered is that last year was not one of my best years because I missed on a lot of those, uh, the big bats, you know, the, uh, the power guys. So, you know, Lonzo. I, I, yeah, I mean, I had him on one of five teams, uh, of those, of those 12 teamers. Um, but you know, I missed on Solaire, Renfro, Kepler, you know, Kettle Marte, all these guys, Josh Bell, who crushed a whole bunch of homers. And so I had Stanton, I had some other guys that just you know, got hurt and didn't work out. So, um, so yeah, that, you know, still ended up winning some leagues, but that was kind of a, a tough go missing on that. But right now is the time to, you know, if, if you're up on your, your prep, if you have a good idea, you know, you're looking at roster resource, which, you know, now is, is owned and run by fan graphs and you have a good idea of, you know, playing time I mean, playing time is a really big deal. I think one of the issues is, that people are trying to hit on the next big thing with the rookies when a lot of times there's just, you know, good value sitting for you, you know, kind of right in front of you. One of the examples of that last year, at least a guy that I was really touting in January, February drafts was Domingo Santana because I was getting him at 300 overall. He ended up going as high as like 150, 180 by the time March rolled around. Um, so that's obviously, you know, you get somebody that cheap later on, you're getting a great deal. He didn't have quite the season we hoped. He had a great first half and then kind of slowed down. But, you know, like, there, there's somebody I think that we're going to bring up later who I think might fit that Domingo Santana comp this year. Yeah, that was a guy that me and Mike were all over as well last year around that time. And I think um, another player um, that fits that criteria that didn't that also didn't really pan out was Daniel Murphy. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's he was another guy that was getting crazy helium um, because I mean, hey, it's it's Daniel Murphy, a guy that hits 300 every year, and he's going to Colorado. I mean, what can go wrong? And of course, uh, things went wrong. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do this year. Yeah, I'm interesting to see the take on uh, who like who could be those players this year, and and maybe even have the success that we we want them to. So I guess uh, let's let's um, that's, that's a good transition to talk about some of the the players that um, that might have some value. And there's a list. I found a list of players that um, have a, a very a large variance between their average um, draft draft selection and their max pick. So I'll start off with the first one, which is Marcus Semyon. Um, we, we talked about, we've talked about him on the podcast before just being just shortstop being so deep is probably a reason why he got pushed down, but he, his, his max pick is 115. What are your yeah. thoughts on that? Oh, there you go. Yeah. You're about to get into it. <laughs> no, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. And then no, I was going to say, I was going to ask you what your thoughts are and then you're actually about to do it. So good timing. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, I mean, right now, I mean, he's got a high pick of 49, a low of 115, and this is out of 33 drafts. At the end of the day, his ADP is pretty fair. It's around 80 overall. He's somebody that was probably on a lot of winning teams last year. I mean, he's among the league leaders in runs scored. Um, uh, it, it was just a wild season for him all around because, first of all, I mean, yeah, the ball is probably juiced, but he more I mean, he's hit 27 before, but last year he more than doubled his his uh, you know previous home run output. You know, 15 the year before. 33 last year uh, I do think he's somebody that's probably going to fall back on homers uh, a little bit this year but it was really impressive to see Simeon kind of improve across the board I mean he got better defensively uh, he cut his K rate down I mean it was like pretty much 20 percent the last couple of seasons and then 14 percent last year improved his walk rate from nine to eleven and a half percent and leading off in Oakland's a pretty good spot this, these days. So, I mean, even if he dips down to 20, 25 homers, um, you know, he probably can get another 100 runs, and leading off is a really good spot for him there. Right on. Um, the next player, uh, we've, we've spoken about him as well before, and he's one of uh, he's, he's one of Mike's he's, – he's, yeah, he's your guy. He's your deep hibernator, we're calling them, the deep uh-huh. sleepers. Um, at 503, Victor Reyes. I'm not, I'm not so much in, but I'll let you guys talk about him. Yeah, what do you love? What do you love about him, Mike? Everything. No, I, <laughs> I just it's it's a lot of it with him is price. I believe his actual ADP is like three forty three. It's off the top of my head. That's how much I look at him. Oh, um, it has to be over four hundred because we were talking about him. In the, I, no, I did just look it up. It was three sixty nine. Oh, okay. So these are you're close. I looked at I looked it up in the draft room, which is weird. I don't understand why in the draft room. And I guess maybe the overall. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Regardless. What I like about him is that he's outside the top 300 period and he's in a position where he's going to be hitting second. He's a switch hitting outfielder for the, uh, the Detroit lions. God, I have football in the brain, the tigers. <laughs> and um, we're talking a guy that all through the minor leagues has shown plus speed has 91st percentile speed. So we're looking at a guy that 20 stone bases is a legitimate outcome with, with potential for more solid batting average floor. Cause although he does not walk, he has, like 2%, 3% walk rate last year. And his chase rate is a little concerning, but his contact rates are very, very um, – they're very good. They're very uh, encouraging. That's what I was looking for. So I think a lot of that bad bit that he's holding on to in the batting average has a floor to it because mm-hmm. of the contact rate. So you're getting a guy late in drafts, fifth outfielder, 20, 20 or so steal upside, and a decent batting average around 270-ish possible. Possibly I'm all about that where you're getting them. And I, can, and I usually – 
can build for that, you know, taking that on later. Instead of chasing speed early, I know I have a fallback option. Yeah, I think with Victor Reyes, it's really all about the steals. Like, if we think he's going to steal, um, yeah, I, I think stolen bases are going to be an interesting topic over the next couple months because if you notice, a lot of the top stolen base leaders, at least last year, are guys from the first couple rounds. So um, finding those gems later, like, you know, people aren't really going to be on Delino de Shields this year and, uh, you know, those type of guys. You know, last year we thought maybe Greg Allen could be one of those guys or Roman Quinn in deep leagues. It just never happened. Um, but Victor Reyes has a role, right? You said he's hitting mm -hmm. second. Um, I did kind of notice the inflated Babbitt, uh, 384 is pretty, pretty damn high. So <laughs> maybe he doesn't hit 300 again this year, but Hey, he doesn't need to, he can hit 270, 280, which I think is, is realistic. And, and really you're just buying in on the steals for a guy at like 370 ADP who might get up to like 300 when people realize he's probably going to hit second. If you can get 20 steals out of him, man, that's, uh, that's going to be in a good pick. Yeah, it doesn't hurt that it doesn't hurt that you have um, you're on a team that needs to probably manufacture runs, so that green light should always be there. Absolutely, I agree. Yep. Hey, we're gonna take a timeout here for a second. I'm just on the clock, and I'm about to, I'm about to run out in round two here. Um, <laughs> you let it run for two hours or four hours? Uh, two hours. Uh -huh. um, oh, I'm, think, I'm thinking. I get my first. You know what? I I um. I auto picked my first in the first round because I didn't know the draft was starting. I had the eighth pick. I auto Cody Bellinger, which I was so happy about. Um, great. Yeah, it was awesome. That was like a gift. Now I'm in the second round. I think I'm going to go Xander Bogarts. It's a bit of a reach, but um, all the top four pitchers are gone. Bueller, Bueller, Flaherty, Clevenger gone. Just get and, Snell. Get Snell. Be uh, happy with it. No, I think I can get, get Castillo <laughs> coming back around. You love Castillo, though, so yeah. I do. Um, this is a live pick. You're ruining the show. Make your pick so we can move on. All right. I'll take Bogarts. <laughs> moving on. Moving on. Um, Mike Talkman, his max pick is 547. And I know he's going um, – I've seen him, and I've taken him a lot earlier than that. He's one of those guys um, that I guess is sort of a boomer bust um, pick around where he need to go. He sort of – him and Sam Hilliard sort of go together in my mind. They're players you're just you're not you're not certain the playing time, but if they get it, there's a lot of upside. He's a he's kind of a stud. I I understand he's uh, he's 29 years old. He's was basically a career minor leaguer for the Rockies. Never really you know kind of stepped up, but uh, last season that second half, I mean, he was very valuable in fantasy. To me, a, a 380-ish ADP seems way low. Uh, seems very very mispriced. Um, he's somebody I would absolutely if you're doing a draft champions. Um, you know, you, you mark them somewhere um, in the early 300s and just go to jump on them. I can see him getting up to being a top 250 guy because he's pretty much going to be in the lineup. He's got power. That's a good division for hitting. Um, I kind of just noticed that I ended up unintentionally, but then I started making it intentional, a Yankee stack on my latest draft champions because, I mean, hell, they're going to play the Blue Jays and the Orioles so often, bad, you know, uh, rotations, horrible bullpens. Uh, it's a really good spot, uh, a really good time of the year to kind of pile up on some Yankees and, um, and Red Sox and beat up on some bad pitching. That's what I sort of did in this draft. Me and Mike are in a draft right now. I took Talkman in the 24th round. I sort of, uh, yeah, sort of did a, I sort of pinned him in my mind. And then I took Clint Frazier, and we'll sort of get into this after. I took Clint Frazier in the 27th round. Um, this gives me, I thought this gives me sort of a, We'll talk about handcuffs a bit, but just sort of a, a, a teammate strategy. Whereas 
in these in these deep leagues, if if one goes down or one earns a job, it, it sort of if you're once you're past say around twenty five, you can afford to take that backup. I think. Meh. 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 It depends. I, I guess what you're. I, I I kind of agree with what you're saying on that particular situation, but it's. We'll see. I guess we'll talk about it a little more, like you said. So let's we can move on until. Yeah. Okay. Um, next one is Alex Reyes at five hundred five. Now he, as you know, he is last year. He was basically a write-off because of injury, and he's been injury-prone. But um, I don't really see any reason why he wouldn't be healthy coming into next year, other than the fact that he hasn't been. <laughs> he can't get out of his own way, man. I feel like he's just. I feel like he's always doing something. Like he punched. Didn't he punch a wall or something and break his fingers last year, Probably. among other things? I think that's what well, the one thing that I've read up on him is that um, the Cardinals have kind of left him alone this offseason because they've been kind of, you know, on him, riding him hard uh, every offseason. This year, they just kind of let him, left him alone, gave him some space, um, changed his routine up a little bit. Uh, and it's really a make or break season for him. I mean, where he's going right now, he's really sort of an afterthought, but he's still a talented guy, you know. I mean, I could easily see him cracking this rotation, and uh, he's worth a stab. I definitely think he's worth a stab as, a, um, you know, somebody for where he he is going right now. Right on. Um, next one we have on the list is Evan White at 672. And this has to be something that won't repeat itself because I'm guessing this 672 was prior to um, him signing. signing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, he just went 25th round in mine. Uh, I actually had him queued up because I, I needed another corner infielder. Somebody snagged him right before me. Um, but he's going to play every day because not really the contract, but because he's a good defender and, you know, yeah. they've got this youth, youth movement here. Um, he's not necessarily uh, a completely uh, ready to go hitter. I don't think in the big leagues, uh, you know, I think he should probably hit 20 home runs, but it's really all about the at-bats. Um, he's going to play every day. If he plays well, he'll move up in the lineup. There's a good chance for that, but probably start not hitting six or seven, something like that. And, working his way up, but he's uh yeah, he's kind of a, a sneaky little name for where he's going these days. Yep. I wanted to take him. He got taken right before me in our draft in the 23rd round. There. He's going to keep climbing, I guess, especially if he has any type of spring training, like big game, forget about it. All right. I'm going to skip over the next one and come back to it uh, for a reason. Uh, our next, our next player is uh, Jesus Aguilar at 675. And, and, you know, he's not again, I don't think you'll find him that deep ever again. This probably was before the signing and or the trade or the signing in the signing Miami. in Miami. The signing, sorry, the signing in Miami. I, personally, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'd want to let him get out of the first four hundred picks anymore. This yeah, was... this, this is the guy that I'm referring to as this year's Domingo Santana um, <laughs> because an ADP of five seventeen. Um, remember what this guy did a couple of years ago. I understand he's uh, you know getting close to thirty, if not already. Um, and he's not a very good discipline hitter, uh, but I can definitely see him gaining helium uh, in drafts over the next uh, few weeks. I mean, he's got a full-time role. He's a potential, you know, potentially their cleanup hitter. Um, probably shouldn't expect too much in the batting average category, but hey, 25 homers, 85 RBIs, uh, I can definitely see that. Yeah, I think um, people, uh, and I, I do this, using ADP as a crutch in these drafts, and and, and it's not so much a crutch as well as as – it's, you think you can it's, fall it's back helpful. On it. it's, it's helpful as well, but you really seeing his ADP can really get you some value in the drafts. I find because th this is a perfect example of that. Just the just he's just buried in the ADP right now, and and 
because of just the, the small amount of drafts, the small sample size of the, of the draft champions leagues, I think it's between 25 and 30 drafts that go into this ADP right now that you're going to, that, um, that ADP is going to move a lot quickly. So the draft, the draft champions, that's why I want to get into the early ones because you, you have this value or the potential value for just um, ADP to really, you don't have a lot of time before it corrects itself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I got nothing to say. Okay. Um, the, one, the one that I skipped over was Alex Wood at 608. Um, and I skipped over him because he's not signed yet. So I'm wondering if you guys think a similar thing could happen with Alex Wood as we've seen with um, news coming out of the, based on the other players we've spoke about. Could something similar happen with Alex Wood? Yeah, I think where he pitches, I think, makes a big difference. Uh, maybe you can get into a, a nice pitcher's park. Uh, um, I mean, this is a guy that, um, you know, wasn't healthy last year. He only made seven starts. Um, somebody that's potentially forgotten. Um, he's just been really good at not allowing walks, uh, career walk rate under 7% over the course of his career. Obviously, you know, he's pitching some good ballparks, uh, Atlanta before it was uh, SunTrust and of course uh, with the Dodgers, but also has never allowed over uh, a season with over one home run per nine innings. Um, so that's also pretty impressive. Of course, last season he did, uh, it was like 2.44, but that's over seven starts. Doesn't really count. And he wasn't at full strength. Uh, or wasn't fully healthy, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you guys are bringing up some good players here. These are all guys that I'm, I'm looking to steal for how cheap they're going and their potential upside. Well, you might not want to draft with us because <laughs> that uh, we, uh, we've already seen it. Like we've brought, well, I don't want to draft really. with Vlad. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the success speaks. For I think itself. it's the other, I think it's the other way around Mike. Well, yeah, no kidding. Just <laughs> saying, your... trying to trying to talk ourselves up a little bit here. Try, but yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> But okay. the final guy here, I'm just going to bring him up. because yeah, I'm the one that keeps drafting him, and it's simply – it's Kyle Crick, and it's simply because early drafts, I'm looking at Russell Resource, and although he shouldn't be the closer, he is currently projected to be the closer. And I don't understand why Kella – like, Kella's the one getting drafted about literally like a few hundred picks higher, I think it is, and it's still Crick on the Russell Resource page. And I don't get – other than I think it was the K rate that was kind of nice, nothing else really stands out about him as somebody that should be closing games. And Kella seems to have the, the better skill set. My biggest concern would be Kella being dealt even before the season starts. Yeah, uh, it's, it, it's possible. And, um, I mean, it doesn't hurt. I mean, for where Kirk is going, um, it's, a, it's a very good stab. I mean, Pittsburgh is uh, usually a nice spot for saves. Uh, for whatever reason, they they're you know they're they're not a team that necessarily like blows out opponents. I feel like when they win, it's just by a few runs, and that you know, you know the guy who we won't mention and and other people in this role have, um, you know, have uh, it's a good safe team. I think Pittsburgh. So um, I do think it's going to be Kila. Um, I do kind of feel that you know things like roster resource. I mean, it's really their kind of their best guess. I mean, even managers don't know what they're doing yet. Um, before he's going, I think it's an absolutely good step. Yeah, and that's simply all it is for me as well. It's because it's like, how do you pass on the guy that has a 50 50 shot? It feels like right now. Because what if he comes into spring training and is just everything that people wanted him to be last year? Because I know there was some hype around him a little bit last year. Mm -hmm. So, other than that, is there anybody else? I know you've only, I know you're kind of just getting back into baseball, Vlad, but is there oh, anybody no, else I'm that? I'm always in baseball, baby. Are I'm you? Okay. Kid, yeah. Um, I, I, Maybe I tweeted, publicly. Yeah, I mean, I tweeted about Dylan Bundy, I think, uh, with the Angels. I think it's a good home park uh, for him. 
um, I don't know, just kind of a, a some some gut feel that he ends up having a pretty good season. Um, you know, he does. You know, we saw last year does occasionally have those good starts, but very sort of a Jekyll and Hyde guy. Um, yeah. And, and then Kyle Lewis on Seattle, uh, he had a nice little uh, cup of coffee with the team. You know, once he came up and, and hit really well. Uh, I remember him helping out in DFS a few times. He's somebody that's kind of flying uh, under the radar, like you know, twenty three to twenty six ADP range. Uh, I think he's somebody else that maybe we could potentially be looking at as a steal. I like him as well. Um, one of the other guys we talked about before was Shed Long. What, about, what uh, thoughts on him? Uh, he's he's uh, he's decent. I mean, you're it's really all about you think he's gonna get the playing time um you know can he get on base can he steal a few um you know uh, i'm i'm not long on shed but uh i can get there <laughs> cool all right well that wraps up our conversation on um the, the max picks um and some some player values there um the next thing i want to talk about is um uh some recent transactions here um uh, then that would impact um some later some of the later picks in adp so the kluber trade i don't i don't I don't think we really need to get uh, too much too in depth on Corey Kluber himself. Um, some people say his value took a small hit, but um, I want to I want to talk about the impact of the other pitchers in, in Cleveland. In particular, who do you think was, who do you think is going to take the, the fifth spot um, on Twitter or a lot on social media? A lot of what I've heard is Zach Plezak, but I have one other player that I just I asked I messaged out the NFPC boys and I asked them to add this player to the player pool because he's not even in the player pool yet um his name's scott moss and he was uh, he was acquired in the trevor bauer trade last year he's a starter and he's had some very good numbers in triple a so and i know they have um aaron sadali who should be in the rotation they also have um they also have um names escaping please right well please and there's also another potential um well there's hentages in the minors too right Triple A, yeah, he's right there. I'm looking at the roster resource page. <laughs> Tristan there's, McKenzie. There's someone else. Not, there's someone else that would pitch for them last year in the majors. Oh, um, Plucko. Nope. Someone else is. <laughs> there was um, someone. There's someone in addition to that. Um, oh, you're man. killing me here, man. Plucko, Savali, whatever his name is, Plesac. Um, I think I have him on Dynasty. I think I know who we're talking about because I have him on a Dynasty team. Maybe he got DFA'd for all we know. Hmm. Well, anyway, while, while anyway. I look for him, while I look for him, I want to hear you guys. I want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Savali. I just drafted him in, in one of my latest. I think he's somebody that can contribute well to the ratio categories, uh, just kind of like he did last year. And um, once again, the AL Central's uh, going to be a good place for uh, for pitchers. Uh, maybe not when they face Minnesota, um, and maybe not even the White Sox this year. But um, you know, there's some 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 interesting players there. Um, Plesak, I'm a little concerned about, I think, um, you're looking at a guy that had an ERA under four and an XFIP over five, and he does not get a lot of K's. I think he averaged about six and a half, um, in the majors and about 21 starts. Uh, it was higher in his minor league career, but I think he's like a 12th rounder, you know, he's, uh, uh, just, just somebody that doesn't necessarily, uh, excite me too much. Right. Yeah. I looked at the minor league stats and I saw that he had a, he had a very good K rate. Well, bet much better K rate in the minor leagues, which yep. gave me some hope for him, but that's about it. So other than that, we've seen some, we've seen some value changes with the recent transactions that we've touched on. Um, is there anyone that you're looking at that could have that bump in value either, either due to trade or due to signing? The one thing I kept saying, the one thing I've said to Mike is what if Yasiel Puig signs in Colorado? Well, how how much would he skyrocket? 
That's, that's oh. one of the. <laughs> oh, baby. Is this a real possibility? No. Um, well, technically, it's, yes. It's the Rockies. They'll sign somebody that's way older than they should, and they'll put them at like second base because that's what they need is another second baseman. The Rockies uh, don't sign the person that they should sign. Ever. I always joke they're going to sign Brian Dozier because they're already logged in with too many, too much talent. Oh, they're in Dozier, yeah. yeah. I would, yeah, that would make sense. Um, <laughs> That's very Rockies. Yeah, man, I would. I, I mean, I would be all over Puig in Colorado, but I think uh, probably everybody else would be too. Yeah, that would be ideal. But I mean, anyone, anyone else? Is, is anyone else that we can? We're just, we're just dreaming up scenarios here. But no, I mean, I just, I mean, I, I would. Hey, listen, I would love to have Francisco Lindor. Uh, I'm a Dodger fan. I just don't yeah. know what the haul is going to be. Um, I guess if it's just Gavin Lux and Dustin May, I guess I'd be okay. Anything more than that, I might be a little, um, you know, scared to do that. But man, I'm really excited about Gavin Lux. And uh, um, you know, I actually mentioned the other day how I could, you know, see him kind of winning that, um, being the leadoff man there. I think he's, you know, very talented. He can sell some bags. He can hit with power. Um, you know, he's he's ready. He really looks like a, you know, like a like a major leaguer, quote unquote. So um, uh, I hope. You know, if we trade him, we don't give up too much, but I'd love to see him in a Dodger uniform this year. It must be nice to be a Dodgers fan. I know you guys have had some. No, it's not nice. 29. Last time I celebrated their championship, I was like, you know, 10 years old. It's like the Buffalo Bills of baseball. It's sad to say, but it's true. That's not very nice. (laughs) Sorry. I I mean, you are a Jays fan, though, so you were there for some good. You had some. I was there. I was there for the Joe Carter home run. I was in the stadium. Ooh. Yeah, nice. dating awesome. myself. Um, and so, yeah, we move on from the uh, trade talk here, and then I wanted to talk about um, talk about some handcuffing. And I didn't want to spend too long on this, but um, this is about handcuffing and sort of like this. They call it the friendship strategy, the friendship strategy in football. Um, you're just, I guess, hedging your bets. Um, and the first thing I wanted to talk about is closers. Now, in your regular twelve team leagues when you're looking at drafting a closer, you're looking at save opportunities and you're looking at the skill set of that closer. And that's pretty much it. Now in draft champions, since it's so deep and you're looking at 15 teams and 50 rounds, um, personally, I'm looking at, I'm looking a little bit deeper. I'm trying to look at it a little bit deeper to see if there's an advantage here. So there's three other things. And of course I'm looking at those first two items, but there's also three other things I might be looking at is one, is there a clear backup? So a good example of that is Arizona. They've Archie Black Bradley, and I believe my personally, you can you can differ with me, but I believe the backup is Ginkle in, in Arizona. So I think there's a clear backup there. So that would be good. Uh, that would that would that would entice me to draft someone like Bradley. Number two is how competent is the is the backup? In a situation, the opposite situation would be somewhere like Baltimore. So say say we've concluded Gibbons is the closer. I don't think they really have anyone great as a backup. And three, and maybe most importantly, is how easy is this backup to obtain in drafts? So sometimes you really have to, um, a good example of that is Cleveland, or or a bad example, say you draft hand, it's going to be very costly for you to um, obtain the backups, which you don't even know which one would be, um, Karinchik or or Clace. So that would deter me from, from drafting hand because, A, it's going to be, costly to obtain the handcuff and you don't know which one it is a good example of an easy to obtain handcuff in my opinion is um the reds um so i'm i'm as we're assuming iglesias uh, is the closer and i think that robert stevenson is the handcuff and that's not a popular opinion but i do think he is and he'd be very very cheap you can get him in the 500s so that's my little rant on the handcuffs for closers 
Um, what, what are your guys' thoughts? Uh, I mean, I, for example, Robert Stevenson, I think is he's somebody that I've actually been uh, been looking to target myself, and that's just because he's a good reliever. I'm of the opinion that you know skill trans ends up translating into role eventually. Um, cream rises to the top, basically. So, um, you know, even if he's slated to be the you know the middle you know middle inning man, or unless it's a manager that likes to you know prefers to use those kind of guys as you know in multi inning roles. Um, it, it's definitely, is, it, it's looking for the, sh- the handcuffs I want are the situations where I'm not doing the handcuffing. It's where I'm grabbing the backup where I don't love, um, you know, the guy, the guy that's in projected to be the closer, like somebody who, you know, they may have in there who seems shaky. Um, I want to go, go after their backup. I mean, those, those are my types of situations. Kind of the same way. I actually aim for other people's handcuffs. Like if I think that like like kind of what you so were you're just a dick, you're just a dickhead. <laughs> Thanks, that's one way of putting it. Yeah, like like if like for instance, you have Kella, you know, Crick is on that list of mine to get late. Someone takes Hater, like hate. I, if Hater gets traded, I'm a big believer that Burns has a legitimate shot to turn right into that same role. So I'm getting Corbin Burns in a lot of places right now. I just now. took I just took Kirk Neville. I think he's back soon. I'm hoping he's back soon. I think he could be that person, even if Hater's not traded. Well, yeah, that's the thing. That's another thing. Like Hater, I feel like it was always has has always been more effective as a two inning guy, and I feel like they want to use him as such. I really think I'm like I'm really torn. I don't know which way Corbin Burns is gonna go. It looks like they've kind of added you know a few uh, depth uh, starters via trade and whatnot and signings. So it's like Burns kind of gets vaulted into this role of being like a multi inning relief guy almost again. But why couldn't he just kind of be like the the second the second um option behind hater you know hater goes you know two innings in a night why can't burns can't why can't they almost like 70 30 type of thing as far as percentages for save opportunities i just i see that as a potential so i've been heavily targeting burns and the the post 400 range so guys like that like i like to try to look for opportunity as well and again kind of goes back on what vlad said again as far as targeting skill i think burns is just one of those guys that has that upside to be a solid arm out the pen so just a name i'm thinking of yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, my two draft champions so far, I've had completely different strategies. And the first one, I kind of missed the wave of closers, and I grabbed guys like Archie Bradley, Brandon Workman, who I think will be their guy, the guys, but we don't know. You know, maybe Boston ends up, you know, signing someone, trading for someone, anything can happen there. But Workman was so damn good last year that I, you know, I could easily see him um, holding on to that role. In my most recent one, um, I just jumped in early because I don't want to mess around with trying to guess closers later. And I think it's a good strategy in this format. But I grabbed Roberto Osuna and Edwin Diaz in back-to-back picks in the seventh and the eighth. I mean, Osuna, uh, you know, maybe not uh, uh, to, to say he's not the greatest person in the world would be quite the understatement. But besides that, I mean, just as a baseball player, as a closer, I mean, he gets it done every year, a whip under one over the course of his career. And then Edwin Diaz is just, just kind of cheap to me. He's kind of a nice little bounce back candidate, um, you know, off of last year's disappointment. Mets are going to be a good offense this year, I think. And um, I don't want to mess around with closers in this format. So I'd rather kind of grab, you know, the Gileses of the world. I think Bradley's going to have a role um, in, you know, maybe not get the, you know, pay up super high for a hater, um, even though I know he'll be great, but kind of that next tier of guys who I think can get the job done and just hold the job for the rest for the most of the year. That's what's most important. Yeah, that's what I did my first one. I got hand Iglesias combo. I thought that was kind of solid. Not, nothing high end, but kind of, you know, felt safe. Could they be traded? Sure. Wouldn't surprise me if hand was. 
in particular, but then the second draft came around and this one was like, I drafted from the 14th spot and from the two spots So completely different players were available to me at all times. And I was like, I found, I fell into a spot where I don't usually take closers that early, but I think it was a sixth or seventh round where Kirby Yates was sitting there. I'm like, and he was just the only difference maker left of like what I thought were difference makers for a position. He was just sitting there. So I took him and I paired him with a workman, like you mentioned. But the reason why I had more confidence taking workman was I actually heard some talk about him. I think the manager's already come out. Like it's been, it's already said that he's going to be probably the guy. So like, I don't know where I read that. I know I didn't, I didn't make that up. I heard that. I read that somewhere. Like <laughs> that's something I did. So I had a lot more confidence taking workman as a number two, plus having Kirby Yates kind of feeling like I solidified a solid high end guy. Workman was great last year, but he doesn't really have the track record. So I guess that's what's driving him down boards a bit. Neither did Kirby Yates, really. True. All right. Well, the, the next thing I wanted to, to look at here is it's, it goes along the lines of handcuffs, but I guess player combination. So you're not so much handcuffing, but you're you're hedging the unknown of if uh, of the unknown of playing time battles right now. So you're looking at your Rockies like Hampson, McMahon, and Rogers. So that's like a three-headed race. Ugh. And then you have Barreto, Mateo, and Sheldon Nuis. Uh, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly I for the second base. She's battling for second base in Oakland. Um, so those are two similar types issues. So uh, I'm thinking if I personally, if I grab Hampson or McMahon, I try to grab all of them if I can, because there's, there's no waivers, so you, you have no fallback plan. And the other thing, like the other thing I wanted to talk about here, um, assuming that Correa isn't traded, is Abraham Toro a must handcuff in say round 40? It's cheap to attain because if Correa is hurt, which he's been getting hurt, Bregman's going to move to short, and then third base is open. Um, many people yeah. think Gurriel moves over, I'll, so I'll give you guys a floor on that. I mean, that's, yeah, that's smart thinking there. Uh, you know, I mean, if, if anybody that's going to get a full-time role um, in that offense in Houston is a, is, is, is a, in a good spot. Uh, I don't know what's going on with this, you know, all these Correa rumors, but uh, I think a, a change of scenery for him might actually be nice. Um, I, I definitely wouldn't mind it. And obviously, you know, grabbing those type of guys in the later rounds does make a lot of sense. Um, it's tough, you know, with the Rockies specifically, I mean, everybody knows how they like to hold down their, their minor leaguers. And, um, you know, obviously Brendan Rogers is, um, coming off, uh, you know, the end of season injury and, um, you know, hopefully he'll be on track. And I would probably assume that you get, you know, the, the platoon with McMahon and Hampson, uh, for the most part. And then, you know, Hampson can play some outfield as well. Um, you know, at least until David Dahl gets hurt as he always does. Um, and then, uh, and then that Rogers just starts the year off in the minors. So the one thing that's tough about that is when you're sort of, when you do kind of grab all of those guys, I mean, it's a 50 round draft. I understand you've got 50 picks, but you got to assume some of your guys will probably get hurt before spring training or, or during spring training. Um, and it's kind of hard to kind of hamstring yourself to one position. So that's why one of the reasons I'm not a big believer in handcuffs, I'm just kind of looking at, you know, uh, filling my positions you know i'm in round 35 and i notice i'm i'm short on you know short stops and the short stops are starting to go thin i need to know that i need to grab one soon because i don't want to have to grab a guy who may not even have a chance of playing so there's a lot of sort of nuances and, and balance that goes on as you're moving deeper into the draft that's awesome i think that's the piece of advice that people that are listening to want really want to hear so the, the, thank you for that that's 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 good advice and that's exactly the type of adventure that's going to be helpful to people 
I hate that combo you picked because that combo is very much real, the Hampson McMahon Rogers combo. But the amount of equity I feel like you have to put into it because of where Hampson and McMahon go, yes, it actually hurts. Like it's actually like something you should avoid doing. And I personally didn't want to drag this conversation out longer than it that's needs it. to be, but that's all but I no, but I wanted to, I want to actually add to it because that that middle infield, I guess, uh, long jam. Since Hampson can go to the outfield, it also impacts your Sam Hilliard situation in the outfield. Then oh, you can, it rolls into Ramiel Tapia, so it's just a disaster, really. Don't don't forget Ian Desmond and Dan Murphy. And... I I do forget Ian Desmond. I, <laughs> well, you can't because I are... I want to forget him. And I've talked. I, I want to forget him as much as I want to forget Josh Reddick. And oh, you love Josh Reddick. <laughs> uh, real quick about the Korea thing. People are talking about Toro. Is everybody just forgetting that Miles Straw is still there? Good point. Like, I, I think I think Straw is going to get traded, and I'm I mean, I, he's an, he's another one of my targets. I, I just have I have a feeling he'll be traded just because. Talk about speed, that's, though. You know that's what the Astros do. They just trade away their excess outfielders that are good. Well, he plays shortstop too. He actually has the eligibility on fair sure. Anyway. Yeah, and I'm just thinking because you said you know shortstop for shortstop, everyone thinks Toro, but and Toro's probably the better player prospect. But you look at Straw, and it's not. I mean, solid, uh, definitely a stolen base guy. Great um, plate discipline. I mean, he wouldn't be bad for fantasy. I mean, there goes your speed and batting average potentially late. Sure, just somebody worth mentioning. Very much. We, we can move on. That's all. I just wanted to bring him up. Okay. The next thing we wanted to ask about is team composition, and this is sort of a. This is a hard question to answer because I think a lot of people will just say I go with the flow of the draft, but um, do you have a set amount of ca- catchers or pitchers that you're, you're willing to draft? Um, and how many prospects, like, and you limit the amount of prospects because I always end up getting tempted into the prospects and maybe that's one of my downfalls. I draft too many prospects. Sometimes it works out. A lot of times yeah. it doesn't. I mean, you know, catchers, um, you know, to me, they're the, the least important position. <laughs> they're like the, you know, the, the, the tight end. Um, but you want to fill that spot. You know, you're not going to get a lot of value out of it because you're getting a lot of uh, teams that are just, you know, platooning um, and giving guys a, a lot of rest. So if you're not spending up on catcher, um, you, you kind of, it, it, it's different. I, I usually want to make sure that I have at least four. Sometimes I go five and sometimes I just feel like when I'm getting that fifth, it's, it's kind of a waste, but it, it depends on how you, you handle them early. Like obviously if you grab, uh, a Gary Sanchez and a Real Muto or a Contreras, then maybe you can wait a little bit on your second catcher. I know that uh, I've been seeing some backup catchers or guys that are probably going to only get 300 max plate appearances are getting drafted in the 20 to 25th rounds. And I don't necessarily love that. I don't know if I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, uh, that strategy, like seeing guys like taking a catcher just to fill the spot, um, but taking like a Tyler Flowers or, you know, a Chance Cisco or, you know, Victor Caratini. I mean, all like could be okay, but, um, you know, it's just not worth the, the equity that you're paying there. So totally, totally agree with you there, Vlad. Just one guy that's the one guy that I'm getting, uh, one guy that I just target very at the very end, I'm getting him in the 50th round and he's not costing me anything. And I think he could be, I think he could pay off is again on the Reds, another Stevenson, Tyler Stevenson. He, I think he made it to double A, but he was in the Arizona Fall League. He's a, he's a touted prospect, uh, did well in the minor leagues, and there were some scares this year um, that they're going to get Grandel, but they never ended up landing him, and they don't really have anyone amazing there. Um, is, was he, is, he any, is he someone you guys thought about at all? Nope. 
I personally have not, but um, I did kind of look at the that situation and see, you know, they got a couple of veterans there. I mean, uh, but these guys are old. I mean, Tucker Barnhart's, uh, he's about to be 29. Kirk Casale's 31. Like, you know, Kyle Farmer's, you know, he can play in the infield now, um, but he's also 29. So a uh, former Dodgers guy there. So, yeah, I mean, I could see somebody like Tyler Stevenson kind of, you know, I mean, he's a, he is a former first round, uh, you know, first round pick and, um, you know, very highly touted in, within their organization. So I like it. I like it very much as a, as a late round stab. Why the hell not? I just find myself falling into the, like, I just got Austin Romine. He's going to start ju- jumping off, jumping up boards, but he's a guy. Oh, I, got yeah. to, I just got him as my third catcher. Cause he, the price kind of people forgot he's buried still. Nice. I, I fall back on a Jacob Stallings. People don't realize, like, I know I got screwed cause I, drafted Elias Diaz as my second catcher prior to the DFA days or the, yeah, where the, yeah when they DFA'd everybody. So I, I got lucky enough to get Jacob Stallings as my my back. Actually, that, that's where I'll handcuff. I meant, I forgot to mention that. I will handcuff my catchers because I don't, again, I don't believe in needing more than like, if I can, if I get three, that's great. But if I get two, I want to grab their backup. So I feel like I always have at least two to fill my spot. I think, I think you have to back up your uh, handcuff your catchers because so, a, it's going to be too expensive to draft somebody else's catcher. Like their yeah. starter. It's just going to be, it's going to cost you too much to get uh, to do that. And basically there's no waivers. You, you, you got to have a backup plan. If you, and that's why. Yeah. So I think catchers like the one position I'm willing to really handcuff. But then, like I said, this one, I happened to follow into Romine as my third catcher. So now I can really basically ignore it until the final round. If I want to take like a, a prospect with like a keeper Ruiz that falls or something crazy, you know. Right on. What about prospects? You guys um, limit. You want to limit your exposure to prospects in these drafts? For like, sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I think I wrote about it last year about being careful. I mean, if if you hit on the right ones, I mean, people that uh, you know, Lindy Hinkleman, who uh, a friend of mine is actually the. Um, two-time NFBC main event champion um, wow. and he won the draft champions last year. He drafted his team back in November. So, uh, you know, he had Alonzo like Verlander was like his third rounder. Like he just had an insane an absolutely insane team. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, you, you drop that early and you know, you can hit on some guys later, you know, you had Jordan Alvarez, uh, but you got to hit on the right ones. And sometimes you just don't know who they are. I think the most important thing there is really being wise and projecting uh, when you think these guys might come up. Some of them, you just never know. Some of these guys pop out from double A, uh, some team, you know, like the Yankees gets hit with a whole bunch of injuries. And so, you know, these are things you just can't project. Uh, So, you know, you just kind of take a stab at it, but you don't want too many uh, because you don't want to, you want to have that flexibility in the last couple months so you can go out there and win your league. Um, And that's why you need to load up on guys with at bats. And that, that sort of brings me to my next question here. You got guys um, going in the 400 to 450 range, I I believe, from what I've seen. Um, prospects like your Gratterall, your Nate Pearson, Manning, De- Debbie Garcia, Spencer Howard, um, um, Mize, all those guys. And and I think one, of, I think you hit on it. A lot of those things is you look at the innings they pitched last year in the minor leagues and see what their potential is this year. That's what I'm looking at, and that's why. I like manning the most of them all, but that's not the point I'm trying to get at here. My point is where do you draw the line on an injured pitcher like uh, a Michael Fulmer or Carlos Rodon that you, you think or you know is going to come back? And I think Ful- like my gut says Fulmer is going to come back in July and Rodon in August. And when are these other minor league pitchers coming back, coming up around the yeah. same time, maybe a bit earlier? And sorry, I'm just going to continue like, just to say that Fulmer and Rodon are going way later than these prospects. 
Yeah, I mean, you know what? This is just something in draft champions that I've kind of learned the hard way that I'm just avoiding. Um, like Michael Kopik, um, I would love to have him on my team, but some of these guys are just better suited for the 12 round, you know, the 12 the, the team format or the 15 team format when you have free agent bidding. So maybe you can see, okay, this guy's on his way back, um, you know, maybe, or you draft him before the season and just kind of hold and, and see what happens. Um, it's tough to do it in this type of format because the name of the game is, 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 is volume. It's at bats. You want to be able to field a healthy lineup. And I know that gets tough towards the end of the year. There's going to be some attrition in spring training. You could lose, you know, five guys. It's 10% of your roster, um, you know, to injury or to Tommy John or to whatever in spring training. So, um, you know, I try to be very careful and more, uh, a lot less risk averse in draft champions and more risk averse in, uh, in fab leagues. Right on. One of the things that happened to me last year in more than one league is I, I couldn't start, uh, I couldn't feel the starting pitching staff because I drafted too many prospects because of injury. Um, <laughs> just while I got you here of the, of the prospects that I listed there, I think I listed about five or six. Are you targeting anyone in particular? Um, I don't know. Not necessarily any of, I mean, th those are all good names. I think these are all guys that I'd be interested in. I guess uh, Manning would be probably the guy I'm most intrigued by. I agree. Now, before we let you get out of here, Vlad, because trust me, we appreciate your time and we're running a little long. Just any final thoughts, any just helpful advice overall that you want to drop? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things you want to do at least because, hey, this is a Draft Champions podcast where we're, you know, we're doing – I think the most important thing to, to take out of this is that these are your prep. You know, like I, me personally, um, yeah, I would love to win, but it's not – to win my leagues, but it somehow isn't my focus. I kind of use these. I know it's kind of expensive for like a practice, but this is like really getting familiar with ADP, getting familiar with the player pool, seeing where, seeing draft trends, seeing where people are taking players. So it's, you know, the more of these you do, it's, you know, like your glorified mock draft that actually counts and you can win some money from, but you know, you, you're kind of fine tuning your skills as you get ready for your big drafts in March. So I think it's important at each pick that you're at don't just like grab a pick but like spend some time and look at all the guys in that category you know click around go down rabbit holes you know take some of the time off your clock or, or do it before you get on the clock spend the time you're going to learn players this way this way I mean there's guys in the minor leagues I've never heard of that I'm going to discover and they're going to come on my radar because I'm studying and looking them up in the 48th round of draft change yeah will craig is a great name for that but that's the only one i'm going to drop um other than that man we appreciate you joining us do any uh just remind everybody where uh where they can find you what type of work you got coming out for for baseball season and all that and uh you can on yeah that. yeah yeah i'm getting ready to uh you know gonna have a lot of articles cranking out as uh part of the uh, fantasy guru.com uh baseball um draft guide so that uh that'll be hitting soon probably sometime in early january uh, that's it. Just going to have a lot of NFBC centric articles, a lot of, you know, you know, player profiles, some probably like, you know, this guy versus that guy, uh, with Ray flowers. Um, and just, uh, man, I'm excited. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's always baseball season. So I'm pumped up and ready to go. Thank you for having me guys. No, it's our pleasure. Just for everybody to remember, uh, to remind everybody, I should say, you can follow Vlad at Roto gut. Very simple. And um, for us, you can follow us on Twitter. Zach is at Zach Roto. I'm at Mike underscore Curl. And, and as always, guys, we appreciate you all listening. And we will talk to you soon. <laughs>